Hello everybody at anchor.fm forward slash gabsmack. So we are simulcast on YouTube, Anchor FM and the Periscope. I will not be addressing Periscope comments, but I will look at them in the replay. And we are here continuing our story. Now, if you want to know the rest of the story, there is a summary at Gabsmacked on YouTube. And that summary is under the Speaking Human series playlist. And there are also the first seven or six episodes. I don't know which one we're up to. And I think I've lost one of the other episodes. So there's only five episodes there. But you get the drift. This is a story of an undiagnosed autistic savant. And one of the most unlikely things you could expect growing up in the 80s. And we are now at the person's 12-year-old self who has now not knowing they have autism, but they have Tourette's. They don't know that they have it but they blurt out syllables and people think that they're doing it deliberately because we live in an age where people don't know of Tourette's very well. So let's continue. There was the PCs come now coming into business, Red Cadillac Cat, good to see you. And we were talking about mum making the mistake of leaving her new office PC unattended. And this was before there was Windows. So this was the first time that this undiagnosed autist, Jamil, interacted with something that he understood and felt understood him. And that was something called DOS, Disk Operating System. For those of you who are younger than 35, you may or may not know about the Disk Operating System. This was before Windows existed, and it was just a text interface. And because, of course, it was text, and it was what regular neurotypicals called literal, which autists call normal, <laughs> uh, that literal text uh, was very easy to interact with. And so I developed a, not any romantic relationship, of course not, but I developed a MS-DOS, Microsoft DOS, a relationship with DOS. In other words, I could communicate with it, it could communicate back with me, everything was logical and very specific. You missed one letter or one dot, it was wrong. I like how someone on Periscope just said, I remember it a bit, or did you remember it a bite? Ha, ha, ha. Alrighty. So that's my dad joke of the day. Now, uh, this... The fact that this made complete sense made no sense at all. So it was surprising to Jamil that an inanimate object would make sense to him and that he would make sense to it or the illusion would exist. And that might actually be the source of Jamil, aka myself's obsession with gadgets growing up and emotional connection with gadgets. In fact, with almost every relationship that Jamil ever had, his gadgets were more important to him. And that's not a euphemism. So when he ever he handed over a phone to somebody, uh, a partner, that would be an extremely, extremely loving relationship if he were to hand over his phone or his batteries or anything like that of that nature. Uh, now, let's move on. Uh, Jamil, at the age of 12, was now 180 centimeters tall, which is somewhere close to six feet, if not exactly uh, six feet. And he had developed tactics to win at games, but he did not understand social interaction. And because of that, his tactics would seem quite ruthless. Uh, and there are specific examples of social dysfunction in the book here that increased his uh, bullying and also his, his lack of understanding of jokes. Now, the interesting thing about jokes, and you would, might find this hard to believe now that people have called me funny, but there's a reason for that. There was a transformation using savant skills later on with Sabrina, where what happened was that when I would, when Jamil would explain that, hold on, there are two potential answers to this joke. He was explaining it with confusion, but of course the neurotypical would take that as if Jamil was being a smartass, and so he would cop severe bullying for that type of stuff, which is of course sad. But this is leading on to 
turning Jamil or cultivating the beast within Jamil, which inherently becomes quite violent. The social dysfunction became increasingly apparent, and this is where Jamil would be falling rapidly into depression more and more. And he could now understand that he was experiencing something called depression, but he didn't think it was a disorder. He just thought it's understandable that he's worthless and should not exist. He gave himself until 17 to see whether he could get out of this. So he was now already considering suicide at this point. So suicide starts very early. You can see that by the age of 12, he's now considering suicide. Okay. The next thing that happened to him was losing Jason. Now, for those of you who don't know, who haven't heard the first part of the series, Jason was his watch that he received from Uncle Pretty Boy Henry from the Mediterranean. And I think he was about 10 years old, possibly. And Jason was his closest friend because it's been described in previous episodes. I won't get into that, but it was to do with numbers and tech. And when Jason's battery died, he was unable to ask his parents to replace the batteries. And so he mourned the loss of Jason. And that was his, one of his first losses. Sitting in the toilets during lunch hour provided a peaceful habit before building up courage to enter the library to spend time with dead authors. So there's a lot in those sentences. So if you read the actual book, it takes a few times to read it over and over to, to see the amount of compact information within those sentences. Now, Mr. Stewart in sixth grade was one of the first teachers who would openly make fun of Jamil. And in hindsight, I don't blame the teacher. He was a combination of ignorant, asshole, stupid, but on top of that, there was a lack of awareness of autism. So it's, it seems apparent that Jamil would have come across to Mr. Stewart as someone who was looking for trouble, when in fact that wasn't the case at all. The, then of course the acne developed and then Jamil, being myself, uh, was, uh, had to undergo something called a headgear process. And the headgear was something that was drilled into his, into his teeth and then connected outside like, like American football. Uh, to pull out his jaw. Now, I'm very lucky now I get to enjoy having a jaw that's proportional. Uh, but uh, at the time, of course, when you're between 12 and 15, that's quite horrendous to have to go through with the acne. And uh, I, re I remember Jamil actually asking himself this, which was, why have any self-respect for any longer? Uh, and that actually felt good. That's an interesting thing. This is one of the first acknowledgements of befriending the depression and self-worthlessness and desire to hate oneself in the way that one person was hated by everyone else at school. This is why it's called the tragedy. Uh, now, the next part talks about four eyes. So on top of this now, Jamil, his height uh, exacerbated a genetic condition which uh, caused short-sightedness. And the way it started was there was something wrong with the stove clock, candles and stones. The reason that's that's an important sentence is because it shows how humans, when they see something that's not fitting their expectations, they immediately blame the external factor. And that's something completely natural we do even as children. So Jamil, as a child, was saying, at, this was at age 11, because the time flips backwards and forwards, but there was something wrong with the stove clock. So because I, my younger self, Jamil, couldn't see the stove clock, then clearly there was something wrong with the stove clock, not that Jamil needed glasses. Um, so that's an interesting thing there. Now... What Jamil develops is an ability to notice various details in people's body language um, because he's unable to actually see them without wearing glasses. 
And so he noticed that every single person had a walking signature. And that was part of the beginning of him learning how to understand human beings. He didn't even realize that he was doing this, but he needed to find a way to identify different people from a distance. Okay. Uh, part of that explains in this story about saying hello to people. So hello was quite annoying. Because why would you say hello to someone multiple times in a day? And that's what we do now as humans. Hey, g'day, or you do this. And all of that has now become normal. But I understand that it's something that I have consciously had to learn. Where most people do that and don't, oh yeah. Most people will, might hear this and say, oh yeah. Um, look, at, uh, uh, look at this um, um, look at this behavior that we're engaging in. Which is uh, that, that nodding of the head, etc, etc. So... It was similar to, I guess, the example here is saying purple bricks, purple bricks, purple bricks. That's the ongoing hello that humans do. And so there is a description of neurotypical behavior in an absurd fashion or in a fashion that's similar to making it look like it's absurd. And it tries to get you into the mind of the autist. Now, now we begin. This is the next part. Bullies get bigger. This is the next chapter. And this is the beginning of someone called... Mr. Barry. And Mr. Barry was the same age as myself, and he was a very popular jock, what you call in America call a jock. He was a football player, very proud of himself. Now, as an adult, I'm sure he's a lovely person. So this is in no way a disrespect to the adult version of himself. As a child, there's a different story. Now, he, of course, was going through his own issues, like every bully. And he was described as one who puffed out his chest uh, and whilst rubbing his man breasts in an almost ape-like fashion. That's how Jamil describes uh, Peter Barry. Now, Peter Barry would torment Jamil racist, uh, based on, on racial slurs uh, as well as uh, slurs against how Jamil seemed to behave. And this type of uh, bullying metastasized into horrendously depressing and, say... Um, uh, almost invidiously suicidal-inspired behavior, let's say, or inspiring towards suicide. Uh, the fantasies that were developed by Jamil of revenge would dwell within him and increase over the two years of bullying that he was receiving every single day. He didn't want to go to school. He didn't want to get out of bed. He didn't want to face it. He didn't want to go to sleep. He didn't want to be awake. He didn't want to have to think that going to sleep would mean he'd have to wake up again and then have to go back and through this horrendous stuff again. So this is where the anxiety starts to build up and the, the entrenching of the almost DNA-inspired anxiety attacks that would forever trouble Jamil up until my age today. Um, what he would also do was bully anyone else who spoke to Jamil. And so deliberately ostracizing Jamil from everybody. And so Jamil became like a leper, like a plague, like vermin, like scum. And that's how Jamil perceived himself growing up. So for a 12, 13, 14 year old boy, it was part of what helped the disease of depression, self-deprecation uh, and hating of oneself. Um, let's say self-execration. Uh, was was metamorphosizing quite severely. Uh, redundancy, aversion. Hey, hey, Gab, Gab, bonjour. Hello, everybody. Crippling. That's a good one. Alpha Dog has a good one. Crippling there. So let's move on. Uh, we also uh, have some flashbacks to other bullies. So when, when Jamil was five, 
he was severely abused uh, by someone in the Arabic community for not being Arabic enough. And they threw him down the stairs, actually, after, uh, after Honest Joe tried to talk to this boy to say, we are all a friends, let us be a friends. That didn't actually work. So uh, Jamil had learned from a young age to not have his father, Honest Joe, involved in his life because it seemed to only make things worse. Uh, all righty. The, uh, the bullying kept going for a long period of time. Now, by the age of about 13, Jamil is now reading something called Evolution versus Creationism. So he's already reading scientific books by this time. So it gives you a picture of what Jamil is like. And he was now witnessing adults brainstorming about how to deal with the bullying situation, which he found confounding because up until that point, there was an assumption that adults knew better. But now at the age of 13, he started to realize that adults actually didn't know the answer because they were disagreeing on how to deal with this bully. One person said, let's just go bash the guy. <laughs> you know, one person said, no, we have to talk to the family. One said, we have to talk to the teachers. So it was, uh, it was quite terrible. And then, of course, there was... Jamil's older cousin, who, uh, who said, who gave a story about him being picked on and that he wished he could go back in time and line up all the bullies with a baseball bat. <laughs> and then his mother ran into the room, Honest Joe's sister, who just sounds like Honest Joe with a high-pitched voice, who said, do not talk like this to Jamil. This is not a very good. But that was the first time the idea occurred to Jamil that maybe violence was the answer. Now, we don't find out until 10 years later that violence is not the answer because what happens is that there's a rewarding of that violence, which we will talk about okay, later on. But the rewarding actually reinforces the belief that violence can be a solution. And that then reinforces the enacting of violence in the future again. And so it helps develop this beast, this ridiculously tormented and aggravated Red Hulk that has no remorse and it is almost a separate entity, a pariah. We all need to see. Very cool. Alrighty. So there were three options that Jamil had now developed by the end of age 13. And if you can remember, we all know that the age from 12 to 13, that year is like five years as an adult because we know that time speeds up as we get older, our perception anyway. So there were three options. Number one was to live with the abuse. Number two was suicide. And number three was destroying Jamil's own soul through violence against another human being. And what's interesting is that he actually decided that perhaps suicide would be the more humane way to get out of this problem. So he's thinking about this in some sort of rational way and having all these conversations with himself. Uh, all right, so what he would then do was move to self-deprecation and turn off all lights in his room, make sure there was no sound either, except for one thing, which was his boys to men CD over and over again in the pitchness of black or the blackness of pitch. It kept him alive for the next few years. And one must remember, just think of being forced into a prison and solitary confinement where the world outside is so bad that solitary confinement is your way out. And that is the level of abject horror that was being experienced by Jamil growing up. So that was my younger versions or Jamil's life at that age. And you don't have the perspective of being an adult. So you think that life is that darkness 
and that the only light that existed was the memory of you being seven before the world decided to punish you, not for what you did, but for who you are. And that ends episode one of, or the first part of this episode. I will now pause YouTube and answer some Periscope questions, and then we'll start with episode two. And now we are back at episode two at Anchor Podcast, Scope, Scope, more than most. You are very kind. Thank you so much for your comments on Periscope. Let's get back to this. Now, Sabrina, who was my childhood sweetheart, was tucked away at this point, and I was age 12. So it keeps oscillating. This is one of the problems with my writing of the first book, is that it oscillates a lot between certain times, and that's because my memory doesn't work in a chronological fashion. So I might try to fix that. I hope to fix that in a second book by having neurotypicals edit the book. <laughs> um, all right. So it was this. I would soon be on a plane with mum and dad and Micah on the way back to the Mediterranean. This was the last day of school. And it was then that Jamil had experienced a gravitational pull, pull, a gravitational pull that no one else seemed to be affected by. And uh, it was when he looked at her almond-shaped eyes. She was a ballet dancer. And this torturous, this torturous thought of knowing that the gravity was actually pulling him towards her and away from the depression would only last for the next three bus stops because he would have to get off at that stop meant that ultimately he did not get off at that bus stop. He couldn't help it. He was drawn towards this person and didn't know why. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. This is more of an exaggerated version of the traditional childhood sweetheart story. Add autism to it and you get something quite hilarious. Now, what actually happened was that he, he got off at her bus stop and walked behind her. Now, if anyone remembers at the beginning of the book, we had Honest Joe being my mother's protector, as he calls it, before he decided to ask her to marry him. And so Jamil asked himself the question, am I stalking or am I just her protector? And he didn't notice that his hands were shaking and his palms were sweaty. And of course, he decided that she wouldn't notice that Jamil was stalking her all the time walking five meters behind her, which is about 15 feet behind her. Now she did stop and turn around. And so Jamil decided to bend down and tie his already tied shoelace. Very smooth by the young Jamil. She disappeared behind the corner. And anyway, he ended up saying to her, my name is, oh no, he, he had to ask her her name. She gave him her name, which was Jessica. And he said, my name is Jamil. And as soon as he said that, he ran off. Uh, well, she said, nice to meet you, Jamil, and he ran off. Now, uh, running off had him slip in a sewer, which is not in the book. And so his, all of his school uniform, his private Catholic college uniform, was ended up uh, soaked. It ended up being soaked in fecal matter of the whole suburb. Isn't that fantastic? And then, of course, we end up over at the Mediterranean again. This is where we have social experiences now by Jamil in a group of people. And this is probably why he fell in love with his father's homeland. Because in Australia, he was a disease, a pariah. He was an anathema. He was repulsive. And yet over in the motherland, he was people's cousin. He was family. He was someone people were fascinated in. They were excited about his ability to learn their language so rapidly. 
he was considered 18, even though he was 13 and couldn't understand why he was considered 18 if he was 13. So these type of uh, interesting things where autism sort of makes it a little bit worse. And there's some other stories which I won't get into uh, that they, they start to involve a women and embarrassing moments. So they are what you would expect from a young, inexperienced boy who's also extremely nerdy at best and pimple-faced and self-deprecating at worst. And so there's a few of those which you can read the book about and have some fun. And he was trying to actually be like the guys to talk about women's breasts and women, you know, that's, uh, this is the type of thing that guys, I don't know if they do it today, they probably do, uh, where it, there was a discussion of uh, how experienced a certain guy was, even though they're all 14, so they obviously don't know anything uh, when compared to, to adults. But uh, Jamil just decided to try and copy them and said, uh, you know, certain things about female anatomy and describing them like sandbags. So he obviously didn't know what he was talking about. And it turns out that one of the girls that he was talking about was the girl who had moved in next door to him who was sitting right behind him on the bus. And this, in hindsight, was probably devised by someone on the bus called Mark who was not a fan of uh, Jamil, who Jamil ran into many years later when he was a lot larger uh, and <laughs> this guy wasn't too happy with it. So Jamil was desperate to meet Jessica and on his way walking to the train station he ran into a sign. He asked God for a sign and it turns out that there was a sign draped on her school wall which said that there was a dance party coming up so he decided he was going to go to that dance party and of course we had honest joe be careful of what you drink maybe somebody put the drugs in your drink my son and those type of messages had disappeared as jamil entered the dance floor and what he first noticed because he went to a boy school and had no sisters and his female cousins were well older than him and he didn't see his, his mother as much because she was hyper successful in the business world. And what he noticed when he that he went into this dance was that every second person was a female. And he noticed that they were all inspiring some sort of arousal in Jamil and not a physical one at the time, but well, maybe, but he didn't know what it was. He sort of felt like he was in a candy store. He felt like he was surrounded by pillows and fragrances and he, he was unusually obsessed with looking at all of these women. So nothing much has changed. But he didn't know that he was having this experience. And of course, out of all of those women, he noticed Jessica and her best friend, who, whom he also thought was quite cute. Uh, the, uh, but he was, there's also a description here about the extra things that someone with autism would, would experience, which is you know things like external stimuli, the noise, the people, the body language, the sounds, worried about how he's moving, where he's sitting, are people disgusted by him the way the boys were at school, were they not disgusted by him, was it only guys, was it only his, the people at school, how come these girls weren't disgusted by him, or were they? And then what he noticed was that the friends of Jessica pushed her towards Jamil to dance with Jamil. This was unbelievably counter to the narrative Jamil had developed in his mind of being someone who was all of the things we just met, mentioned, those reprehensible adjectives that we'd used previously. 
And all Jamil could do at the time, because he had no idea how to deal with the situation, was jump up like Bugs Bunny or some sort of rabbit and bounce out of the dance floor and run outside to try and breathe. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That was Jamil's experience trying to dance with a female. Now, he actually went back in and then it happened again twice. So it wasn't the best night. And this, of course, resulted in teasing, not bullying, but teasing by the girls in the future at the station, every time he'd go to the station. And there was probably about, the day after the dance, there was about 10 girls walking past Jamil that all went, hi Jamil, hi Jamil, hi Jamil. And then Jamil just sort of crashed into his bag, desperate to sort of completely, <laughs> um, say, evaporate into the crevasse that was the cracked ground of Strathfield Station. Now, in hindsight, of course, all of them noticing Jamil is something an adult would recognize as a compliment. Um, ooh, Vianetta ice cream. Thank you very much, Nuncia, ladies and gentlemen. Join us with our ice cream. Mmm, 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 fantastic. And uh, I might pause the YouTube video. Mmm. All right, YouTube video was paused. And now let's pause Periscope. Let's start with our third recording. Alrighty. Yes, someone just said on Periscope, it's so much harder to change what's in one's head than what's happening in real life. That is exactly what I talk about, as you know, uh, on almost every, epi almost every episode comes back to the fact that real life is not as important as what's happening in our heads. Absolutely. And in fact, I don't think real life even actually exists objectively, or at least not something that we can measure, but that's a whole other quantum mechanics story. So what happened was that Jamil was so compelled to send his second suicide note, not to his teacher this time, but to Jessica herself, and asked her to dance at his funeral, or to remember him at his funeral, when she was a successful dancer. Now I'm not sure, I actually can't remember why Jamil would be inspired to write such a letter. Even though, And that's one of the reasons I now no longer see Jamil as myself. I see it as a child within me that uh, that I now take care of. I don't completely understand that. And it's, uh, it's quite sad that he felt that he had to get to that point. Uh, and that's probably the end of where I will uh, leave that episode. We are now up to page 39 in the book out of... I don't know, about a hundred and, I don't even know where we are, 110, 120. So yeah, we're about a quarter of the way through. So that's it, everybody at Gabsmacked. Uh, I will stop the YouTube video now. It's a pleasure to see you as always at YouTube and don't forget to take life one smack at a time. Here we go. Okay, done. And stop, 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 here we go. Okay, and now we stop our podcast at anchor.fm forward slash Gabsmacked. It is a pleasure to have you guys here each time. And until next time, don't forget you can join us at patreon.com forward slash gabsmacked or at paypal.me forward slash gabsmacked. That's uh, one-off stuff. And I can send you books and stuff if you like as well. Or the copy of this book, of course, I can send you one. It's Send me your address. It's five bucks plus 10 bucks postage in whatever currency you're in. All right, until next time, don't forget to take life one smack at a time.